Good morning, good morning. It is good to be with all of you again. Before we get started on the sermon, we have a... Um we have a, a tradition here, and something that's more than a tradition, it's really our hearts. Uh, typically what we do is take a minute here and pray over another church in this city. We are uh, devoted uh, to being uh, uh, understanding the size of the kingdom of God and being partners with people here in this city uh, that claim Christ. And it's not only that we want to pray for them, we actually uh, want to make sure that we understand they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They are partners in this mission of God. And so with that, uh, we have a great opportunity that that's come up and an announcement that I want you to hear from uh, Brother Clay. So we'll have Clay Robertson, one of our elders, get up and tell you about this. Good morning. So while we're in the process of seeking God's way, we've been presented with an opportunity and we're really excited about it. Uh, we are going to participate in a faith build with Habitat for Humanity with four other churches. It's going to be the Kerrville Church of Christ, the Impact Christian Fellowship, First United Methodist Church, and Trinity Baptist Church. And we're going to participate uh, all together financially, and we also get to participate, if you so desire, you can sign up and go work on the house. But we just think it's such a great way to get together with other Christ followers in our community and do something wonderful together. Uh, so that's the announcement. And at this moment, uh, well, let me tell you this. Construction is set to begin before Thanksgiving. It's either going to be this Saturday or the following Monday, Tuesday. We'll let you know and we'll have some sign-up stuff for you if you want to go be a part of that uh, great opportunity. Um, I think that's about it. So let's take a minute and, and pray about this opportunity that we have to work with fellow Christians in, in this endeavor. Father God, we just come before you right now and, and we're thankful. You are so good and so loving and we just want to follow what you want for us, God. And, and we're thankful for this opportunity. You are the great I am and worthy to be praised and we praise you in this moment. And praise you uh, for this time that we have right now to join uh, with the other three uh, in doing something good in this community and shining your light in this community together in unity uh, of people who love you and love Jesus Christ. And Father, I want to pray um, over this project, this all-faith build that... Uh, it is just a wonderful thing for your name and for your kingdom. And I pray for those three churches, for First United Methodist, for Trinity Baptist, and for Impact Christian Fellowship. I pray that all that they're doing uh, in their works for you and in their love for you, that uh, the four of us will be a light in this community, that we will show Jesus to the people that we live around and work around, and that every opportunity that we have, Father, that we would uh, speak your name, speak your truth, and be a loving church for all those who need you and all those who want to know you. Help us to be that in this community, Father. And we just, again, pray that this is just a great endeavor for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
It's good to be with you again today, and uh, it's good to be able to talk about uh, things of the Spirit. I want you to understand what we just talked about there. Uh, you know, we, we're in this place where we're going, hey, we're trying to decide what God wants us to be. What kind of church does he want us to be? How is he going to lead us in this? But while we're doing this, being Christ, and ministry does not stop. And so when an opportunity like this that comes in that says, hey, this is an opportunity for you to partner with some other churches to be able to do this, this is the way that we weigh this. Right? So you had the elders getting going, we have this opportunity here. I know we're not done with our vision yet, but does this have the fruit of the Spirit all over it? Does this not have us being people of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness? Is this not a way for us to enact that with other people here in this town who claim Christ and to lift up the name of Jesus through all of this? Not the name of these churches, but that Jesus' name would be lifted up. And even more so if we partner together. Because what happens then is that's the unity of the Spirit that Jesus has prayed for us for. Amen. Before he went to the cross to say, make them one like you and I are one. So this is a great opportunity for us, and we're excited about this. We are talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, this is the third week. I know we've done uh, a little bit on that, but we're going to continue. And in particular today, I want us to talk about a church that's filled with the fruit of the Spirit. We've been talking in particular about individuals and going, this is what it looks like for me. But now we want to talk about, shouldn't this be what we're known for? Shouldn't this be what's coming out of us as a group? Should this not be the evidence of us as being followers of Christ, these things? So let me remind you what they are in Galatians 5, 22 through 26. This is what they, that Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, then let's follow the Spirit as well. Let's not become boastful and challenging one another and envying one another. So we've read these over and over. This is what Paul says is the evidence of people who follow Christ and are walking in the Spirit. You will see these things. And so we want to talk about that a little bit today as a church. And the things that we've been talking about, just to review, one of the things is, you know, when you find that list and you go, hey, how would you like for your life to be filled with these things? Nobody's going to say no. There's nobody out in the world that goes, hey, would you love to have a life that's filled with peace and with joy and with love and with kindness? People say, yeah, yeah, that's what I'd love to have. But we don't know how to get it. And what we come to find out is this is not things that you can gather through any external means. You can't gather enough people around you to do that. You can't fix your world with where you live and your job and your thing. And you can't do this through any external means. And then also you can't do it through any internal means. You can't change yourself to have these. You cannot make this fruit in your life. That's why it's not called the fruit of the Scot. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. I had somebody tell me one time with that. He goes, you keep struggling with this. It's not called the fruit of the Scot. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. That's where it's going to come from. It's a deeper adoration and a love and an affection for Christ and following him and listening to the Spirit that is going to make this happen in you when you become a new creation, when you become reborn. The Lord starts to build this in you, and it grows. But there's also this battle that it talks about. This battle between the flesh and the spirit. And that seems a little counterintuitive to what we've been talking about. Because you have this part of you that is still in the flesh. It's your desires. Right? It's, it's, uh, it's the things that you desire. It's your appetites. It's your hungers. It's those things that, that feed me, feed me, feed me. But then there's also the fact that you have the spirit dwelling in you. And the spirit dwelling in you is drawing you closer to Christ and pointing that out. So you have this battle that happens during this time. 
And we can't say, well, since I, since I became a Christian and now the Spirit lives inside of me, the battle's over, right? I'm done. I don't have anything to do anymore. It's because there's two kingdoms. There's two kingdoms. We belong. My citizenship is in the one of heaven. That's where I belong. But the problem is sometimes what I do is I act like I belong to another kingdom. And so there's that battle that still we sit, and there's that, there's that fleshly battle that goes on with us. But you need to understand this is not a battle between the fruit and obedience. This is a battle between flesh and spirit. And so those things are a little bit different. I'll tell you, you might be like me. I was taught, for the most part, I think growing up a lot, that the best way to get the fruit of the Spirit is by obeying more. That's what you do. And not only that, but really that obedience was the fruit of a life in Christ. In other words, you can look at somebody, we even kind of say that, right? We'll look at their fruit, and it usually has to do with obedience. And so I got it in my head that, you know, I go to church, and if I try to keep myself sexually pure and I don't say any bad words, that is the fruit of a godly life. And that is the fruit of the Spirit that's living in me. But that's not what Paul says. That's not what he says at all. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that there's not obedience. And I don't want you hearing going, well, Scott says there's no way we can have this, so I don't need to do anything. Oh, that is not what I'm saying at all. That is not what I'm saying at all. I just want to make sure that we have the battle in the right way. We can get confused about this because we look at it, we go, well, I'm supposed to feel these things, love and joy and peace and patience, but I'm also supposed to be obedient because Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. So you have to have both of those things. And those are not at war with each other, the fruit and obedience. Those are not at war with each other. It's the flesh and the spirit that are at war with each other, right? And what happens is if we misunderstand the way that that works, it turns really into a, a dysfunctional relationship with God. Let me give you an example just kind of like this. If I misunderstand the way that the fruit works, then I can just love and go, I'll just, I'll just love and I don't want to get hung up on the rules. Like maybe you've talked to people about that and go, hey, listen, here's the deal. I don't want any of this religion and I don't want any of this sin stuff. What I really want is just I'm going to be a person of love. Okay? I want to be a loving person. I don't want to be convicted of sin. This right and wrong stuff, that's all legalism and that's religion, and I don't have to have that. And so it's that battle, right? It's to go, I'll have the fruit, but I won't have the faithfulness. Well, if I were to take that sort of analogy and present that to my wife and go, look, here's the deal. I want us to have a relationship that's all about love, but I don't want to talk about all this faithfulness stuff. I still want to be able to go when I want to go, and I want to hang out with whoever I want to hang out with, right? I want to date other people. I want to leave when I want, especially if I feel like you're being difficult, and then I can just go. And I don't want you to put any of these restrictions and rules around it. We shouldn't have that. It'll just be about love. Well, you discover that that is the way to have a disastrous relationship because it's all about emotion. And the fruit is about more than emotion. But if I misunderstand the other side of this, and go, it's just about the faithfulness and the obedience there. I followed the rules. I could go and say, well, listen, I've been a great husband. I can tell you why. I followed the rules. I never cheated. I never left. I worked real hard to put a roof over her head. Doesn't that make me a loving, godly husband? And the answer to that is no. It doesn't make you more than that. We can't live that way. I don't love, honor, and cherish, and that's not what's growing in our relationship. If all I do is go, I'm just going to be obedient to the rules that have been given me. I have to go home to her. I have to live with her. I can't hit her, and I can never leave. That doesn't make me a loving husband, and that's not growing the things that are the fruit of a good relationship and a marriage, right? I promise to love, honor, cherish. 
And the fact is both the fruit and the faithful, both this fruit of the Spirit and the obedience should be growing all the time. The question is how do they grow? Because the fact is you can't obey your way into the fruit, but you also can't have the fruit without any faithful obedience to God. So how exactly does this work? Because Jesus would tell you your obedience without your love and your devotion and following me is nothing. As a matter of fact, that's the issue he tended to have with the most religious at the time is to go, listen, you're following the rules. That's great. Your heart's far from me. And you don't have any of this fruit of the Spirit. That's the issue that he tend to have, tend to have with them. So this battle between the flesh and the Spirit is really about what is growing in our life. Since they are at war with one another, these desires I have as a flesh, and then what the Spirit is drawing me to, they can't both grow at the same time. One is getting bigger and stronger, and the other one's going to be getting smaller and weaker. And really what it has to do with is which one are you communing with? Which one are you putting your time and your effort? Where's your heart? Where do your eyes go? Where does your action follow? Where does your heart go? It's a reliance on obedience is the thing that starts leading us to a work of the flesh, is to go, I'll obey enough to where I'll get this. And he goes, I want more than your obedience. I want your love. I want your devotion. I want you following me. I want you relying on me. I want you to be free from these things. Now, as a church, that's what we want to. We want this to grow in us. This fruit of the Spirit should be the defining characteristics of who we are as a group. People should look at us and go, hey, man, I might not agree with everything, but they're filled with love, patience. They're kind people. They're gentle people. And we don't have to compromise our obedience to do that. That's what this vision is all about, is us trying to figure out how do we live out what the Spirit is guiding us to, and making sure that we have the fruit of the Spirit that is growing in us constantly. And you can do that as a church because the, it talks about us being an organism, right? We're a body. We've got arms and legs and hands and feet. And so this should be coming from us, and you'd be able to see this. And if you can't, it's a real problem. And, and this is kind of what it looks like for us to take our eyes off of that and start looking at other things. There's, there's this church in Corinth that Paul went and visited. And when he went in there and he set up the church and then he left for about two years, it seems like, and then he wrote a letter back to them about some things that are going on. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 1. I want you to pay attention to this church and the issue that he has with it. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. I'm going to stop for a second here. So this is Paul saying, listen, when I first found you, I gave you milk. I gave you the basics, the most purest form of the gospel. It doesn't mean lesser. It means the best, most basic. This is the Jesus is king. There's a new kingdom. He's overcome sin and death. He's Lord over everything. Trust in him and put your faith in him. Those are the basic. That's the milk that's the milk of the gospel, right? It's pure, and it's life-giving, and it's important, and you need to have it. But the problem is, Paul's going, now I've been away for a little while, and then I hear you're still infants. Well, that's not right. You've been justified. Don't get me wrong. When you gave your life to Christ, you've been justified. Christ died for you. He washed you clean, but you're not growing. Why, why, why are you still acting like an infant? 
right? That's a problem. Adolescents shouldn't act like infants. I, I, I've told some of you, I used to teach school. I taught junior high for a while, way back in the day. And one of the things that was going on that was this weird trend is I had eighth and ninth grade kids, and in particular the girls, and the trend was to, to walk around with a pacifier in your mouth <laughs> at school. They all had pacifiers. Yeah, yeah, that's the way I felt. Yeah, so you're walking around and you're going, this is a 14-year-old girl and she's walking around with a pacifier. That's not right. That's, that's not right. That's not right, right? And, of course, I was the grouchy old teacher who would go, get that out of your mouth, you're not a baby, you know, that sort of thing. But the fact is we realize that when you move from infancy into adolescence, you should change. You should put away the things of being an infant. That's not right for you to be walking around with a pacifier in your mouth. And really, when it started coming to some adults doing it, that's just downright creepy. That's not right in any way. And the problem with that is, for Paul, is he's going, listen, I left you as infants, but I've come back. You should grow up by now. You should be acting different. You should be looking different. And instead, what he says, picking up on verse 3, you're still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely human beings? I love that insult, is to call somebody a human being in this place. And that's kind of what he's doing, is to go, look, here's the deal. You're still worldly. You're still acting worldly. You're not living up to what it means to be in this new kingdom. You're acting like you belong in this other kingdom still. You've not grown into this. It's one thing to put your faith in Christ and belong to him. But we should be growing in this, and you should be able to tell that these, these, this fruit of the Spirit is growing in us constantly because of your devotion to Christ. Things should be changing. Their big issue was that they had gotten to the point where they go, well, Paul was the one that I listened to, and he's the one that baptized me. And somebody else would go, well, I listened to Apollos, who was also a preacher, and he's the one that baptized me, and I listened to him. And so what they started doing is they started fussing with each other about this. Can you imagine that? People in church fighting over different human people that they follow in the world. That could never happen, could it? Right? Can you imagine about how disappointed Paul is to go, you're acting like children. Why have you not grown past this? And if you understand, it's not about obedience. It's about what you've become. You haven't got past this. You haven't become where you've grown. Instead, what you've got is jealousy and you've got quarreling. And the answer to that is, to go, is not to go, obey me. Don't be jealous. Don't be quarreling. The answer to that is, why haven't you grown in the Spirit? Why haven't you have a deeper adoration for God? Why hasn't this changed in you? Why don't we see the evidence and the result of you following the Spirit during these times? You've taken your eyes off what matters most. And that's common for young people. I remember our kids, when they were little, and Melissa would go and... Uh, like play bunko or have a girls' night or something, I used to do the dumbest thing. I would take my girls to Chuck E. Cheese. And I don't know why I would do that because it is just the worst in every way. It is loud. It is lights. There are kids everywhere, and it has what could barely pass as pizza uh, as food there. But one of the things was it kept them kind of busy, right? And they loved it. And they would go in there, and, and I remember my daughter's would just get so kind of freaked out by all of the action. There's music over here. There's a weird 
giant robotic mouse dancing, and then there's video games to play, and there's a thing to crawl in, and there's a ball pit, and there's all of these things going on, and I remember my daughters, they would kind of go on overload, and, and a couple of times, Melissa came and joined us. I remember one time in particular, I've got one of my daughters there, and, and she's sitting there, and she's talking to me, but she's looking like this because of everything that's going around, and I was like, look, your mom's there, and she's like, where? Where? And so she's looking all over the place, and I'm pointing right, right there. Where? 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 And I'm like, over there, sweetie. Where? And it's all of these things. I go, look at me. Look at you. Have to look at me to see where I'm pointing. Look at me. She looked at me, and then, right over there. I was like, oh. But what happened was all the noise, all the distraction, all the things of this world got her to take her eyes off of it. I go, I'm trying to point you towards the one you're looking for. Look at me. Don't take your eyes off me. Look at me. And what you have here is you got a church in Corinth that has taken their eyes off who they're following. And instead, they got their eyes on Paul, and they got their eyes on Apollos, and they got their eyes on each other. And he's going, what has happened? Why have you not grown in the Spirit? And his issue with them is not one of obedience. It's one of not producing the fruit that they should be in their growth in the Spirit. What we want is to be a people who grow in the Spirit. We want to be people that you can see that in the way that we operate and in the things that we do. And we want to cast aside these petty arguments that can happen sometimes that take our eyes off our Savior. We pick up in verse 5. Here's what happens when Paul starts talking to them about their problem there. He says, What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are each co-workers in God's service, and you are God's field, you're God's building. This is him going, you forgot what we're planting here, and you forgot who the one that is the source of this. It's not the one who waters. It's the one who actually is the source for your growth, and you've taken your eyes off of Jesus. It's a different discipline to follow the Spirit than it is just obedience. Obedience has its discipline, and it's important, but there's a different discipline to hanging on to and following the guidance of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is never going to guide you to be disobedient, ever. So it's about this proximity to Jesus and keeping our eyes on him. It's more than obedience. It's keeping our eyes on Christ no matter what he does, walking with the Holy Spirit and letting him guide us. Now, this is not the only time this has been brought up. This is another group of Christians in Hebrews, and the Hebrew writer talks about this in chapter 5. He talks about they're having this argument about whether or not we need a high priest and how we're going to do this and how we enter the presence of God. And this is what the Hebrew writer says in verse 11. He says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. This is about you hanging on to Christ. This is about you holding on to the gospel. And through regular use and constant use, you become something different. And you got to know, it's not about how long you've been a Christian either. 
right? This whole idea of him coming to you and going, look, here's the deal. You ought to be further along. You're still on milk. You can't go, well, I've been a Christian for 50 years. Yeah, well, if the evidence is not there, if there's not fruit of the Spirit, then we got a problem. You're not growing in these things. You need to be growing. God should be growing these things in you, love and joy and peace and patience. And the only way for that to happen is for you to keep your eyes and yourself right next to Christ. It's about a proximity. It's not just watching him, but it's following him. Amen. Right? Stay near the... You want fruit? Stay near the vine. That's where the fruit happens. That's where it comes from. It's an interesting thing with Jesus, too. If you start thinking about the way Jesus operated and the way people always talked to him, there were always folks that would come up and go, give us something. Right? Pharisees, Sadducees, other people would come up and go, give us something. Give us a sign. Give us a sign that you are who you are. Give us proof. Give us your authority. Give us a miracle. Give us. And you know, in all of those, when they came and demanded those things, when they go, give me what I want from you, he never did. Not once did he ever go, okay, here you go. Instead, what happened was, is if you're following, if you're near him, if you made a life with him, you're going to see those things. You don't demand the fruit. You follow the fruit maker. And then it happens. You'll see it. A life in Christ will show you his authority. And it will show you the miracles. And it will show you the things that he's doing. You don't go and demand those. You stick right next to him. And right next to him is where all of these things happen. But it's a battle. And it's one that we have to remember. It's a battle between kind of a God-centered view and an us-centered view. Because this is about us becoming what God is making in us. And about us listening to the Spirit no matter what. And you can tell, by the way, that that fruit of the Spirit should come out in the way that we react to the world around us when we see things that aren't right and things that are unjust and things that aren't fair and things that are harmful to us. How do we react? Does it have the fruit of the Spirit all over it? Or instead, what we do is we get mad and we get angry and we stomp and we turn violent. We get ugly about it. It's this battle. One of my favorite songs, I don't know if you know, Come Thou Fount. It's an old song. We all know that, right? Come Thou Fount of every blessing to my heart. Sing thy praise, right? There's this one part about it. This is, this is one of the verses. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor I'm daily constrained to be. Okay? That's, that's, that's old, old talk for, oh, I owe so much to grace, right? Which is really interesting. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Just so you know, a fetter is like a chain. It's like a shackle. When you would see... Uh, like people that were prisoners and they'd have a shackle around their ankle and it would be tied to something so that they can't get away. That's what a fetter is. And so what he's saying is here, let thy goodness chain me and bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. This is about the battle between the flesh and the spirit. I'm prone to walk away. What is? My flesh. This battle that still wages, I'm prone to walk away. But here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for that courts above. You know that song? I love that part. That idea, my wandering heart. It's not wandering, it's wandering. I have a heart that wanders. It's prone to wander. So what I want to do is I want to bind myself to you, and then I want to have my heart and have it sealed. You know who seals your heart? Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. 
And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That's how you have your heart sealed. The Holy Spirit does it. The Holy Spirit does his work through us in that way. Our job's to listen. Our job's to follow. Our job's to ask. Our job's to commune. We have this life in the Spirit. When we walk in the Spirit, that's what happens. Now, let me tell you what hangs in the balance for a church. We are currently presiding over the largest de-churching period in American history. From the middle of the 1990s until now, 40 million Americans have left the church. 40 million. More people have left the church in that period of time than ever in the history of this country. And the reasons are, can, can be varied. They can be a lot of them. And you might have some popping into your head right now. But I'd like for you to just kind of follow with me for a little bit here. There's a lot of reasons, but some of them can be the, some of the stressors that happened. The elections, the pandemic, those sort of things. I know that had a lot to do with it. But it also is that we didn't always respond to that in a way that showed the fruit of the Spirit. And in particular for our children. We have a generation of kids that are leaving the church at an alarming rate. As a matter of fact, according to Barna studies, kids that grow up in the church, 7 out of 10 will leave. That makes it very difficult when I start looking around the room at the precious children we have in this place. Now, this is not to make us afraid. We need not be afraid, but we need to be aware. We can lose a generation because sometimes it can appear to them that we feel there are some things that are worth abandoning the fruit for. In other words, we sometimes have this impression that we give out that to do the work of God... I'm going to have to turn loose of these fruit things of the Spirit, and i got to get down, and i got to get dirty so things get done. You need to know there is not anything in this world that is worth you abandoning the fruit of the Spirit and getting down and dirty for. Nothing. Amen. There's nothing that is so important or so serious that it's worth us not listening to the Holy Spirit as he entreats us to be more like Christ. If that were the case, then the cross wouldn't need to be there. Jesus would, abandon, would have abandoned that for some way to get down and dirty, to fight what he needed to and to get done what he needed to. The way that we handle disagreements and hurts and even the lost and the way we handle disobedience in ourselves and others, in a way it should be distinctly spirit-filled. That's the whole point. We should handle that differently than the rest of the world. People should look at us and go, man, when hardship hits them, when they disagree, when they're being oppressed, when there are things that are hard, it still has the Holy Spirit all over it. The gifts of the Holy Spirit should be drenched, drenching everything that we do as we respond. We can be an obedient church and still be angry, resentful, suspicious, hateful. We don't want to do that. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. And for us to understand that is obedience is not a burden. Obedience should be the joy and the love and the patience and the kindness because God's the one who gets to decide what obedience is. He says what love is. Amen. He says what joy is. He says what it means to be a peacemaker. Now you need to understand the rest of the world's not always going to appreciate that. That's okay. 
But let them turn their back on us while we have the fruit of the Spirit all over us, as opposed to us pointing a finger, as opposed to us being condemning, as opposed to us being resentful, angry people. We got a, we got a big opportunity coming up next year with the election. We got a big opportunity that's coming up, and it's a huge challenge. And what hangs in the balance there is much more important than who ends up in the White House. It's our ability to display the fruit of the Spirit through whatever the outcome is of that election. That is our calling. No political outcome can overpower the gospel and the work of the Spirit in this world. None. I don't care what happens. The Spirit, you may say to yourself and say, the Spirit called me to vote this way. Great. Follow the Spirit's leading. Vote that way. Get involved. But I promise you, it is never the Spirit that will call you to abandon love and peace and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness to Him so that you can accomplish a political goal. That ain't the Holy Spirit. That's when something becomes an idol. And I don't want that for you. And I don't want that for me. And I certainly don't want that for us. If you can't display the fruit of the Spirit during election time and instead it feels like you need to jettison those traits just for a little while while the election's happening, then brother, I got to tell you, that's an idol for you. And you need to turn your back on that. And you need to put your face back on the Savior and listen to the Holy Spirit. We don't want that. We're meant for much more than that. You know what would be a successful election season for us? Is that at the end of it, we're able to look at ourselves and say, you know what, I grew spiritually during this time. The fruit of the Spirit was guiding me and I grew in every aspect of it. The Spirit gave me more love and more joy and more peace and more patience and more kindness and more goodness, more faithfulness and more self-control during that time. Right? I am more the Lord's man or woman after this time, no matter what the fleshly outcome is. Because it is the power of the Spirit that we want, not the power of man. It's really not. And for us as a church to be able to say we grew in the Spirit during an election time would be so important. While the rest of the world seeks to grow in the flesh, we will be growing in the Spirit. And because of that, the Lord will be pleased. We don't get to set those things aside because the Holy Spirit entreats us and draws us to something more. When you've been wronged, the Holy Spirit beckons you. Show grace. When someone makes you angry, the Holy Spirit beckons you to have peace. When people in the church act unlovingly towards you, the Holy Spirit beckons you to love them as Christ loved the church. When you feel like complaining and being a grouch, the Holy Spirit beckons you. Have some joy. Remember who I am and remember what I've done. That's what we have the potential to be, to be a church that is walking in the Spirit and through that and watching Him and being right next to our Savior and keeping our eyes on Him. He will grow love and joy and self-control and kindness and patience in us. There's no other way to get it. And that's what our vision should be. Our vision is about us having concrete expressions of those characteristics, the fruit of the Spirit. We ought to be able to do this at the end and go, here's our vision. This is what we're going to be. Here's what we're going to do because it's got the fruit of the Spirit all over it. That's what drives it. That's what will be the identifier of it. You'll be able to look at it and you'll be able to see it because the Holy Spirit led us there. That's what we're trying to follow. That's who we want to be. Oh, and there will be such joy for us to share that together. 
to have that as a body of Christians that we share, that we all bend our knee to the same place, listening to the same voice, filling out the same call that he's got for us to follow the Spirit. If you would stand, I'm going to close this out with prayer, and then we're going to sing for a little bit. And then we're going to have a good meal. Oh, excited about that good meal. Let's pray. Holy God, we ask that you would guide us as a church. Make us a place that is filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, grow that in us. Let us be faithful to you. Let us be obedient to you. But more than that, Lord, let us keep our eyes on you so that you are growing those aspects in our life. We want people to look in there and see the characteristics of Christ in so many ways in the things that we do. Thank you for the opportunities we have. I thank you for the way that I see your Holy Spirit at work here in this place. I thank you for the way I see it in the things that are happening here. I thank you for the love that is shown here in this place. I thank you for the joy that we have. Lord, I thank you for the gentleness that comes here and the kindness. I thank you for the way that people come here and tell me that they feel loved by these people. And Lord, we ask that you would grow that in us. Make it even more. Make us more like your son. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray all this. Amen. Amen.